Hello. Hey, Marilyn. Hello, Dan. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I should warn you. Okay. My wife bought me a, a nice coffee. <laughs> Have you drank it? Mm. I've, I'm part way into it and I had to close it. I had to put it away. I would think that mm. would enhance everything. <laughs> Sometimes it enhances wise. too much. Yeah, I feel many different levels of vibration going on in my body. <laughs> I'm quivering optimistically. Yeah. <laughs> like an eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. So if you're getting any kind of like a, you know, a low megahertz hum, you might need to roll that off. <laughs> All right. I'll get... That's my, that's my existence humming. I'll engage <laughs> the, uh, the pass filter for that. Got a, was that a low pass? Low Joe pass. Pa- Joe pass. That was a guy who played guitar, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about weather report? In the Eagles. Sure. Sure. You got, uh, Herbie Hancock was in the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> right? You got Glenn Fry, you got that guy from Futurama. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> So it's been going on. How's uh how's San Francisco? <sighs> uh it's fine, you know. Same. It's uh it was it was hot for a while, now it's less hot. Mm-hmm. School started, you know, so it's all good. Yeah, you guys are like a week or so ahead, right? This is your kid's first week, first days back. Yeah, it's one of the ways we're better than other places. Right. We start school a little early. No, it's good. Second grade, boom. Wow. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. We, um, we were discouraged, you know, from even going to school with her for the first day. She wanted to walk there by herself and we're like, well, you know, no, we're your parents and we're going to come along if that's okay. And then she didn't want us to come into the, even into the school area. We certainly were not allowed to walk to her class with her. We were dispatched. No, it was good. I mean, I, I, I have, uh, evolved or adapted enough that that feels like a win. Of like, no way are you are you coming into the school with me? It's a pretty big deal. Seven. Yeah, that is a big deal. I think I think my son, who's also similar age and also starting second grade next week, I think he still wants me to walk him up and and do all that. Yeah, I don't, I'd love doing it, but uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So you know, it's you know, it's good for everybody though. It's it it is hard to get back on a, a regular schedule mm-hmm. because you know summer is a little bit of a free-for-all she had camp in, except when we were out of town she had a camp of one kind or another every week but that you know that's still like every week's a little bit different the days right. are different and now we're trying to settle back into the pattern and it means stuff like no tv at night and stuff like that so it's it's a it's definitely an adjustment it is and you know it, it's funny because you bring that up because like the sleep time thing did you keep I mean, did you try to to readjust and get back into the regular sleep schedule? Not but, early enough. Yeah. How about you? No, and we're still like working on it this week uh, for next week, and it's still not happening. If anything, they're going to bed later and later. It seems, and and so am I. And you know, I've got to do. And I, I think we talked about this, but for the longest time, you know, my kid has to be at school at seven thirty. And it's not walkable. We don't live in San Francisco, whatever, but we have to drive. And uh, so, you know, like I would have to drive him to school. And so then we would park and we walk. It's a nice walk. It's, you know, a five minute walk up, up the hill and into the school. And every morning I would see these people who were sort of, you know, they're wearing like sweatpants or like a ripped t-shirt or like a baseball hat. And a lot of people would be carrying their coffee mugs, not travel mugs, but like the actual coffee mug itself, like that they had driven with in the car and were then just ca- sort of 
caring, trying not to spill the coffee. And I'd be there like in my work clothes, going to work afterwards. And as, as the time, I think I've told this story here, but as the weeks went by, it started to take such a toll on me of what? just getting up. Oh, that the getting or, up part. Yeah. Because I, I hadn't changed. I was still going to bed at, you know, 1130 plus, and then having to wake up early enough to like, get them ready, get them in the car, drive over there that eventually I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to put on like a pair of jeans and, you know, grab the coffee mug on the way out the door and it clicked. It's like, that's just what all, all these people were just that much smarter than me doing well, it all along. There's the the other part of this that, that I, I don't have to worry about, but I definitely see the problem for other people is having two kids that have to go to two different schools. That's it, yeah. Where somebody's got to adjust their work, unless you can go out and get a freaking nanny. Like you're, <laughs> somebody's going to have to like do two trips somewhere and then do two trips for pickup. And that's setting aside all the kind of like after school stuff to do. It's, you know... It's, it's hard. It's really hard, you know? And and these two kids, they're on different schedules in the morning, but, you know, and like they have different requirements. They each go, in, one goes one way, one goes the other way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really, it's amazing how something like that, how it makes me recall back to the my my younger days, the days of my youth, where you could you could get very little sleep for extended periods of time and you'd be you'd be totally fine there was a woman in the store who was ringing me up and somehow we got on the conversation of of children in while we were doing the financial exchange and she commented that you know she she has oh she said oh you have how how old are your kids i said oh they're 4 and and 7 she said oh mine are you know my my uh, my youngest is 22 and my oldest is 28. And I looked at her and I said, I would have guessed you were my age or younger. And she, it turns out she was just a few years older than me. And I said, you know what? I said, you were really smart to have them so early because uh, I'm very tired at the end of the day. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm extraordinarily tired. She's like, oh yeah, my husband and I just travel and do whatever we want to do now. And yeah, you I know, cried. I, I, I cried so much. I don't after blame that. you, dude. <laughs> just, I'm too tired to cry. I don't, I, um, everybody's so different. I, I retumbled, uh, something on the Tumblr yesterday, which is just a, a peanuts image. And it's Charlie Brown in bed with his blanket over him looking forlorn. And the, the, the word bubble is I'm already tired tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I oh, I see it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, we shouldn't talk too much about the kid stuff. But I know the, they, um, we don't have any interest in that. But well, the uh, you know, I think there's trade-offs to all of those things. You know, I mean, in some ways, I think the the people I look at who are like, you know, a million, you know, not a million years ago, but when I was younger, the last thing I would want to do is have a lot of kids when I'm young. But in some ways, you, I, I don't see people come less stressed out. But you know, if you only got one, you know, you're, you're all like fussy about it. But if you got three or four, you're like, you don't have time to be fussy about it. Like oh, it yeah. just becomes like a like a barracks. Like oh, everything has to run a certain way. No, you're exactly right. It, it barracks is such a wonderful way to say it, especially because I recently rewatched Full Metal Jacket. I would really like to run my ship the way that the drill sergeants run a Marines boot camp ship, but it does not work that way. My you kids, already came up with funny names for your kids. <laughs> I know, I know I have. <laughs> but, uh, you well, know, it seems well private. It seems like you're having trouble putting shoes on. I'm going to call you <laughs> private trouble putting shoes on. <laughs> I know. I wish it was like that, but they don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go that way, but you could run a blanket party on them. Oh, man. 
bars of soap? That would be not effective in my house. It's part of esprit de corps. They knew what they were in for when yeah. they joined up. <laughs> no, yeah. That, well, first of all, first half of that movie. Ooh. Second half is not. It's, it's, yeah, it's two movies. It is but the, two fir- movies. the first half is is extraordinary. I feel like you could stop it at that point. You wouldn't really quite get resolution, but that's that's my favorite part of the movie in a way. Oh, yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty of movie before the bathroom. Yeah, you know, uh, Kingpin's good in that. <laughs> you know what's really weird about that movie is like I used to constantly confuse, <laughs> I used to constantly confuse Adam Baldwin and Vincent D'Onofrio in my head. Because for some reason, I don't know why, I know Adam Baldwin was in My Bodyguard with Chris Makepeace. Yes. And yet, in my head, it was Vincent D'Onofrio. And then it was super confusing for me because, what's his name, Animal Mother and Private Pile are both, right. are both in that movie. Right. And they're, they're, they're totally different people. I wonder how they feel about that. Which, me, one me confusing of, them. which one of those actors is the one who was the, oh man, I'm looking at these guys side by side. Yes. Which one of them played the uh, the cockroach man in Men in Black? Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay. He's Vincent the good D'Onofrio's, one. He's, a, he, he's the good one. Yeah, yeah, believe me. Um, <laughs> you don't want to get mixed up with that Adam Baldwin guy. No. Um, guy's got a lot of grenades rolling around. <laughs> but um, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. And I, I, I feel like Full Metal Jacket was maybe the first thing I remember seeing him in. But then he was on that show where, where, where he was a police officer who was always turning his head sideways. <laughs> Which one? What show is that? He was on. He was one on one of the the myriad laws and orders, and uh, oh, he, the, he and that perky lady with the red hair who looked like she's doing heroin, and mm-hmm. and they would go and investigate a crime, and he would do like a Columbo thing where he turn his head and then his entire body like twelve degrees and ask a question. Oh wow, that was kind of his. That was kind of his bit. It was a good show. Yeah, they that, they are uh, they are confusing in that both they are similar people and they are in the same movie. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of guys. We've talked about this, I think, before. I know I've talked about this in other places, but I mean, there's that whole, there's that cluster of, of white-haired men. You got like Wilford Brimley. You got, uh, you got um, Charles Durning. Uh, like there's this whole cluster of actors. You got David Huddleston. Like these, I, I, I sometimes desperately confuse them and I feel really bad. Hmm. You know, Lebowski, uh, David Huddleston, he's on uh, Gilmore Girls. Oh, really? Oh, mm-hmm. really? You t- yes, you mentioned that. Yeah. I've never seen that show. I heard a factoid the other day that, let me get this right. Wilfred Brimley is, was the age, the, the age that Wilfred Brimley was in Cocoon, I think is the age that Tom Cruise is now in Mission Impossible. You're kidding me. I Check it out. I could be I'm wrong. looking this up right now. I heard it on a podcast and podcasts are never wrong. Okay. So Wilfred uh, was born September. This sounds like a job for Wolfram Alpha. He is age 80. He was born in, 19, in 1934. Wolfram. Was that 1984 when that came out? Uh, <laughs> I can't so believe that. Wilfram. <laughs> you can be kidding me. That yeah. is, and he was like a Hollywood uh, celebrity for a while when he was young, right? Wasn't uh, he? Was he? I don't know. Mm. The other guy was. He was in. Uh, he was in uh, the thing. Yes, he was. was in wait a minute. In 1984, Wilfred Brimley was 49 years old. He's a year older than I am. Well, <laughs> in a few months, I'll be that age. Wow. <laughs> I could be in Cocoon. That feels good. Yeah. You, mm. were, you were considered geriatric. You would, in 1984, be, have been considered geriatric. You know, the crazy one is um, the first Doctor Who. Uh, what's his name? Uh, William. I'm just going to space it right now. But he was a lot younger than he looked. 
Fred Mertz, he was actually 22 on I Love Lucy. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> no, he was not. It had to do with basic prosthetics. They didn't have a word for prosthetics <laughs> in 1951. <laughs> they, got him some, they got him some pants that came up just below his man nipples. And they got him a prosthetic head. And, uh, and uh, you know. He's a highly underrated actor, that one. Ethel, Ethel Mertz. <laughs> Those names. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Big week. Yes. Week. Are you doing? Week. You had some running around to do this morning. Yes, I uh, I took my mom to the airport this morning. Did, did she want to go, or were you? She wanted to go. She's okay. moving away from Texas. She's moving back to back to Boca, Charlie Babbitt. So back to Boca. Yeah, Bo- Bo- Boca Raton. Boca Raton. Boca Raton, not Boca Grande. Mm-hmm. Different. Oh, very different. Mm-hmm. It's a big rat versus a big mouse. Yeah. So she was moving back and uh, had all her. Stuff picked up from the house, the moving truck yesterday, the car loaded up onto one of those car trailer type, you know, car movers. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the technical term. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was, that was yesterday and today was, was just her. And she had, uh, she said, well, you know, the movers didn't tell me how long it would be. They couldn't guarantee, they guarantee within two weeks. I said, okay. She said, so that's why my suitcase is so heavy. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I have two weeks worth of clothes in my suitcase. Oh, it's like an inside out situation where like, <laughs> yeah. you don't know when the truck is coming. Yeah, it could. It, and then, then after she had, the movers had left, they called and said, well, it looks like Friday. So she has two mm. weeks worth of clothes in her, in her suitcase for the flight, uh, for, for, four days. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. That sounds like a U.S. postal service, uh, type <laughs> estimate. <laughs> yeah. Any day now. <laughs> Out for delivery. <laughs> Hello. Still My out kids for are delivery. Just, they are just broken up about her moving. They just. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. My little one would just sit there and she'll just. She, she is in, in every single possible imaginable way a stereotypical little girl that you could imagine. You know, like she loves pink. Everything has to be pink. Uh, you know, she, everything has to be fancy. She told my wife that the, oh, we had decorated cause it was her fourth birthday. So we had decorated like the part of the family room and the, and the little eating area out next to the kitchen had all the decorations up. Happy birthday with little princess stuff, the aerial stuff, all the stuff that she had to have. And she was very upset. And she said to my wife, she was almost crying. She said, what's wrong? She's like, the only good part of the house is this part of the house. The rest of it is ugly. And she said, why is it ugly? She said, it's all just white and brown. Oh. So she's just, she'll get that face, that sort of super frowny, almost starting to cry face that like you would see in a cartoon or a TV. Oh, like when your face show. is collapsing. Yes. She like gets, a Finn the Human face. Yes. Yes. And she just be there like that we what's wrong she's like i don't want grandma to go oh so it's just very she's just very sad and of course my son just gets angry like a like a good boy should you know mm. just gets angry he's in like, touch with his emotions yes like why are you angry i don't know why i'm angry like is it because grandma's leaving no it's not and don't pretty, talk about it pretty soon he's shirtless and torn purple pants <laughs> right <laughs> uh, and and my 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 wife and my mom are both like what what's going on with him why is he so upset i'm like um that's his secret he's he, always angry right that's right that's why i should have said that i'm like they're like you're a guy explain it i'm like well he doesn't want her to go they're like oh 
Mm. Yeah. We're the worst men. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. <sighs> Are you? Do you feel like you're in touch with your emotions? Oh, in really terrible ways. Um, there's some kinds of emotions that are nearly nonstop that make it difficult. They, they build fences to make it harder to get to the other emotions. Right. And, and I think that's the way many of us are essentially broken, uh, is that there may be some emotions that we don't have that much mm, control over mm. that end up becoming like the standard, like standard operating procedure emotions. And then that makes it harder to get to some of the more interesting or potentially scary ones. I could talk, I could talk about that. I would, I would like to hear about that because it's, it's almost like, like periodically I'll have, you know, like, like lower back issues and things like that. And, and I'm working on that aggressively and I will report back in a month, but like I at one point was having this is a while ago. I was having like a sciatic nerve pain where it would go from like your lower back down the back of your leg. And that was, you know, very much a, a, a new thing for me. And I said, why is my leg hurting if the muscles in my leg or whatever are, are not the problem? And, and the doctor was like, well, your muscles will try to protect the nerve and part of the way they protect it is by like tightening or getting, you know, getting in a way like they become very tense and tight and they're, and, and they're, they're compensating. Yeah. And they compensate and then they get overworked and they fatigue and then you get, and it's almost like when I'm listening to you describe the compartmentalization of the uh, emotional oh, state, it's almost right. like one kind of group of emotions is almost overcompensating or overworking to protect from the other one. Oh, that's, that's, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I got a couple things. I mean, the physical part of that is super interesting to me. Um, I had a, I might've mentioned this before, but, but I had a friend who had like a disc problem, which is as back things go is a real, is a real bummer. And I think he might've eventually gotten surgery for it because uh, in any case, for a long time, the way that he was able to regulate it, um, was very difficult and time consuming but it actually worked, which is, and you know, I'm not a physician, but the way he did it was he had gotten these exercises that he had to do for a pretty long time every day mm-hmm. that would build up what I got, I guess what I would think of as his core muscles, like all the things yeah. in your abdomen and your lower back, you know, and I mean, if it's not obvious, different muscles do different work in different ways. So one way to really injure yourself is to use the wrong muscle for the wrong job. Mm-hmm. If you're using little tiny fine muscles in your hand for something where you really want to be using the muscles in your shoulder and leverage, right? If you're trying to open a jar by squeezing it really hard, you're not going to open the jar. Here's how you open a jar. You hold the jar lid just tight enough to keep a grip and then imagine turning with your shoulder and you'll never have a problem opening a jar again. It's, it seems impossible, but it's, it's physics and muscles. And in this case, he had to, he had to basically rebuild this, this uber corset of muscle to compensate for what the discs weren't doing, I guess. But this apparently this is true with all kinds of physical therapy, is that you have to you have to work with somebody who really understands physiology to be able to build the muscles in the right way. Because if you don't, the opposite happens. I mean, think about any time you've had an injury. This seems like a Buddhist parable. Anytime you get an injury, like I've had injuries like in my feet or ankles with very small muscles, which are some of the like most painful really like sharp pains. I, I think I told you that one time I went out to check the mail in bare feet and I pulled a very small muscle in my instep 
a very tiny muscle. And it was each step was excruciating for weeks. It was like each step that I took was like stepping on a spike. And, um, because that's a tiny muscle that is not supposed to lift the weight of a man running up steps, (laughs) you know, by itself in that way. Right. But anyway, uh, but then what happens? So now you get a little bit of a limp and you start kind of favoring like, you know, that leg. And I'm no chiropractor, but I think that's one thing that happens in our body is like we end up covering up this one muscle or this one injury by our entire body trying to say, let's avoid that pain. Mm -hmm. And so we'll move in a way where we don't have to feel that. And that doesn't necessarily make it better, but it does protect the pain we understand from happening. And yes, that's an analogy because I think the same is true in our life. Like if there's something that we're really sensitive about or something that we know makes us upset or something that we know we're bad at, we can find all kinds of compensatory muscles that will help us either not have to feel that way, to to avoid feeling that way, to forget that we feel that way, and then to basically build this muscular emotional infrastructure, you know, based on this one thing that might be fixable. But, you know, then your body gets all screwed up and off balance. That's the the balance part, I think, is the trickiest part. And whether it's emotional or physical, right, is like, because it's, and it's interesting because most of the the women with whom I have close relationships with or have had close relationships in my life, they seem to be more in touch with how they're feeling at any given moment and can also recall how they were feeling at any given moment, whether it's a year or 20 years or five minutes ago. And this always astounds me. And I do remember when I had that really awesome, like daily deep meditation practice that I had really cultivated and worked at for so long for, for a long time. Like I, I was like that. I was very in touch with how I was feeling. And I'm not just talking about on deeper issues. I just mean like someone could say something and maybe they, they say it in a tone or in a way that's kind of annoying. And I would like catch that. And I would think, Oh, right. Like, I they said this thing and here was my reaction to it. And I had this ability because of that mindfulness practice to sort of examine it and say, oh, here's what they said. I, I sense this emotion inside of myself, which I can choose to ignore or react to or not react. To. It was great. Uh, but of course, like then you have kids and you do a lot of other things in your life and you don't have time to spend, you know, 60 minutes every morning Uh, sitting in meditation and that ability and a level of awareness doesn't stick around unless you really work at it. And, but I mean, like I actively remember that and I wonder if that's how it is for some people for, you know, for these women that I know who really know, because a lot of the time I find myself not really sure how I'm feeling about something, you know, like Mm -hmm. if it's a decision of like, should we do this for lunch? Like, yes, I can, I can be in touch enough with my stomach to say, yes, I'm hungry and I want to eat now. But like the, these, these emotions and these feelings and me and, and understanding them that like, how can we uh, be so out of touch with, with those things and unaware of them while they're going on? There seems to me, there's lots of ways that we can be like that. Um, One is that, eh, getting a little bit buddhisty here but um we, on, we on rarely, this show god mm, i know <laughs> it's the worst we 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 rarely when we feel pleasure or we whatever we just feel feel good or feel normal right. we rarely stop to go this is good or this is normal 
or this is happy because, you know, this is, you know, basic Alan Watts is that when we're in those kinds of moments, the last thing we want to do is, is stop and just, you know, ruminate on it because we're having fun. Whereas, so, uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got the feelings that are positive. I'm kind of cribbing, I'm paraphrasing something John Sarkisa recently said, but you've got basically, if you think about emotions, you've got feelings that are positive and then everything else. He, he looks at his mind in terms of the rational mind and everything else. Right. That, you could consider that the irrational mind. You could consider that the emotional mind. You could consider that the negative mind. You put that a million ways. All, all, it's ma- all that matters in this instance is that it's not positive. It's not desirable. And when we have those feelings or emotions or whatever, situations that are not desirable, I don't think it's always easy to pinpoint exactly what the emotion or bad thing is and it doesn't make it feel better mm-hmm. to have to i mean you can try and think yourself out of it and be you know ruminate on why things are the way they are but if you're not a healthy thinker you're going to go straight to all kinds of things like blaming other people or just feeling bad about yourself there you don't look to the rational mind or the in this case positive mind to go like well like what's really happening here so i mean i think that feels pretty natural to a lot of us is to go like Ugh, and it just becomes this this wad of negativity um, I'm looking at something I, I put on the Kung Fu Gripe a while back. You know, I was looking at that book uh, by David Burns called Feeling Good. And uh, um, it's a pretty good book about uh, kind of touching on ideas around cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy. Um, and I, I had this one pull quote that I, I highlighted in, in the iBooks and I really like it. He says, it follows from this model that all emotional change is ultimately brought about by cognitions. Changing your behavior will help you feel better about yourself if it exerts a positive influence on the way you are thinking. And if that sounds like a million things I've said in here, like it absolutely does. The way that you think will have a big effect on how you feel, how you think and feel have an effect on how you see things. I'm going to say this till I'm blue in the face because I think it's, I think it's really profound that if you, if you get into a certain way of thinking about things, the way you see things will start to change, but you're not realizing that the way you're seeing things has changed because that feels real now. And the more you highlight certain aspects uh, of what's going on around you and personalize them, the more the world can start to feel like this thing that's really kind of bearing down on you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's natural to want to feel okay and normal, but the problem is if you're doing that in a way that's not the most wholesome kind of thinking, then the, the new normal is not a happy normal. And you start to really, and you know, and then add, add to that, that feeling of like, if you start out not feeling good, afraid, a word I use a lot, you end up feeling vulnerable. And people don't like feeling vulnerable because vulnerable is tantamount to weak. It's tantamount to like risky, like mm. you're on the edge. Right. And, but it, I feel like in some ways, vulnerability, I don't know, vulnerability is a big turn on to me because it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're open. It means that you are not in some calcified state. It means you're still capable of change. It means yeah. you, you still have some plasticity to the way you think and see and do. Do you um, know, it, it just a more general question, do you ever get a sense that as that, that plasticity, that your, your openness goes away? Because like there are plenty of people out there who just, they think one way, they're not open to alternatives, they're not open to different ways of thinking at all, but doesn't seem like they know that it seems like they've come to the conclusion that you know that 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 through their life experiences whatever they have been that that they have come to the conclusion the definitive conclusion oh yeah i do i know i've done that 
you know, and again, part of it is to avoid a repeated injury. Like if you've, if you've got that injury that you're trying to baby or nurse, like you, you're going to do everything you can to not have that thing, to feel that pain again, or to, um, deal with the consequences of that pain again. Oh, that is that it remind me to circle back to that when you're done with your point. That's pretty much it. All I was going to say was that, you know, and, and that's where I think we have to be And this. Again, I have to credit some ideas here to Alan Watts and his book, the wisdom of insecurity, because, you know, if you had to try and distill what he's saying down to, you know, um, a headline, it's all, most of the things that we think make us feel secure are actually, making us less secure, you know, and the more locks you put on your door, putting locks on tons and tons of locks on your door is not going to ever really make you feel safe because you can't ever be safe. And once you sort of acknowledge the fact that you can't ever be safe, it's sort of like dealing with email. Like why I'm always going on about the impossibility of email. Once you stop trying to solve the impossible parts of email, you get a lightness about yourself and you don't have to focus on all the stuff that has made you feel bad and guilty and weird. Right. So that, that that's all. It's just to say that I think we need to be careful that the things, whether it's things we think we know as facts in the world, or whether it's things we are sure of about everybody in the world, or whether we have certainty about the consequences of why things happen in the world, the more dug in you get on those, the more fake security you get, and the less plasticity you have access to. And, and you know, and this again, again this kind of goes back to that conversation I was having with Syracuse on the last episode of Reconcilable Differences, is that it can be difficult to have access to your rational mind because now you have this new idea of what the rational mind is, which is that you're always sort of shutting, shutting everything down. And in terms of that plasticity, that could be something as simple as I'm tired and we're late for school. So I don't have time for my kid to have joy today <laughs> because, because we don't have time for that in the schedule. That's a constant struggle for me. Or like just tr- trying to get out to do school shopping on Sunday. Mm. It took us like two hours to get out of the house. I was ready to tear my hair out, hair out, you know? It's like my wife for once is going to get like four hours or five hours to herself. And it's like, we gotta, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. But like, and I think I'm doing the right thing, but you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I making that better? Or, you know, am I kind of just squashing this thing because it feels like security to me? Wow. Uh, circle, circle back. Oh, uh, right. So, you know, as, as I'm going, I'm, I'm now going to like a, a personal trainer slash rehab person for like much like I don't have a disc problem, fortunately, but much like your friend working on the, like strengthening the core muscles and, and, and overall, you know, because like everything in the human body is connected. Like you have that foot problem and then you talk about how it affects your... If it's not your, connected, you got a problem. Yeah. And, you know, you, you had your foot issue, which then changes the way you walk, which in the other muscles compensate, that can lead to a lower back issue or a shoulder issue on the opposite side. Like you don't know, you know, because it's all so interconnected. So this, the woman I'm going to, she's been like a, a, a personal trainer and, and she like does weights and she's, she's a registered nurse and has been for years and years. So like she gets this whole uh, connection, but she also talks a lot about the mind body connection in the fact that when you get into that cycle of pain that you were also describing like a few minutes ago that, you know, you will unconsciously avoid or feel even anxiety or fear or anticipatory pain about doing something that you know is going to hurt on a physical level. So like if you think to yourself, oh, if I bend to pick up that pen that I just dropped or I need to pick up this box off the ground in in a way that's unconscious, you may actually feel 
pain before you even start to do that motion that you think will make yourself feel the pain. And it's like breaking that cycle, teaching your body that it can, you know, that that resistance training, if you will, or, or, or lifting something that that is not painful and that that won't result in pain if you do it right. And of course that involves a lot of practice and other things, but like she's always been taught, she's talking to me about all this stuff as I'm doing stuff. She's like, remember that this isn't going to hurt you because we're doing it the right way. Like this won't hurt. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and it's, it's like, as you're like lifting weights, you're like, right. I couldn't do that before because I thought that that would hurt. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain things I know I can do and certain things that I would be hesitant to do. Like I can pick my little girl up and put her up on my shoulders. But if I, I'm concerned that if I run while I'm doing that or walk around too much, that that could result in something, you know what I mean? So like you mm-hmm. have these built in anxieties or these built in cycles like you're describing, but I feel like we do that on an avoidance level with things that we don't want to do, whether it's the email, like you were talking about, right. Or, uh, or something something else that like there's this activity like I remember we used to have these afternoon meetings in this development group that I was in and I just would dread them and I'd be in the meeting and it seemed like it would take forever and I'd be like trying not to fall asleep and I'd feel I'd get a headache you know or whatever and it was all because of this emotional baggage that I was bringing into the meeting it didn't need to be there but I couldn't see it that way and then like doesn't that kind of end up undermining you end up undermining oh, yourself yes a hundred percent yeah yeah, I mean, um, I'll just put in the link to our third episode of the show ever, the second arrow. And, you know, we've talked about that analogy so many times, but that becomes such an important concept to me is, um, is how much we can conjure up in our mind about, about what's going to happen or what could happen. And so the irony is if you have something that has, whether it's an injury or a bad feeling or anything, if there's something you just assume not experience again, you know, the funny thing that happens is the more you think about that happening and hope it doesn't happen. And then the more you try to think about ways to not make that happen, you do end up doing something kind of paradoxical, which is you force yourself to re-experience that and to rehearse how catastrophic that will be when it happens again, whether or not that is a likely to think likely thing to happen. Yeah. And you know, saliently, whether or not you would actually survive that, because you probably would, right? And and so I think that ends up making us kind of herky-jerky in how we move through life. When I say undermining ourselves, it's like we already feel we see ourselves losing before we've even had a chance to compete. That's interesting. There's a, I don't know if this is true. I, I you know, there's a lot of lore around Bruce Lee, but I, I, I heard this, whether or not this is true, it should be true. But supposedly the, the counsel from Bruce Lee is that like, you know, a lot of his in Jeet Kune Do, a lot of stuff is about focus and being able to like concentrate a lot of energy into where you punch. Kind of mm. like an Ant-Man, right? When the lady from Lost punches the guy from uh, Wet Hot American Summer. You got to get a lot <laughs> of focus into this like half inch area and, and it, with the right amount of control. You don't want it to be just the, like the biggest punch you've ever thrown, but you don't want it to be too short. And so supposedly one of the things Bruce Lee said is that when, he, when he's breaking a board or whatever, he's not sitting there and thinking about whether he's going to be able to break the board. He's thinking about his fist going through the board and hitting a target two inches behind the board. And so whenever there's something that I am feeling that way about where I'm wondering like, am I going to be capable of doing this? I try not to overthink it, which is hard sometimes Mm -hmm. because then it just makes you think more. But I think about trying to hit two inches behind the board. When I'm trying to throw a paper towel into the compost from across the room, you know, the more I think about landing that shot, the less likely I am to make it. Instead, I just imagine it going in 
and then I let it rip. And sometimes I, I get a pretty good three pointer because I'm not, I'm not thinking myself into missing that. I'm letting my, my body knows how to throw a paper towel and understands trajectories and can generally land the shot. It's just that I'm the one who gets in the way and tries to talk myself, you know, way down. Um, David Foster Wallace talked about this in an interview with, uh, Terry Gross on a recent, well, I mean, it's obviously, it's an old episode of Fresh Air, but talking about why he couldn't get truly great at tennis was that everybody else was out there trying to get their mind out of the game uh-huh. and so they could just become pure. But he would just be sitting there like thinking everything to death until he was like almost catatonic and drooling. He would just stand on the baseline thinking about how there's no way he can hit this ball. Man. I was, that was a lot of high quality content for a free podcast. I know it. I'll put that in show notes. Uh, Dan, and as much as you're capable and comfortable, could you please <laughs> share with your audience... Mm, where they could find show notes for Hot Dog Diggity 234 of your Back to Work program? Yeah, 5by5.tv slash B2W slash 234. That's where you go. Show notes are there. Already got linked up some pictures of the, the two actors we mentioned. Oh, nice. Uh, just to to go and look at them. That's a good resource. Mm-hmm. Did you... um? Want to tell me about anything you like? Yes, I would like to tell you about Linda. This episode is brought to you by Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com. You can go there and they have over 3,000 on-demand video courses that will help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. They have actually set up a special URL just for listeners of this show. It's lynda.com slash back to work. And that's where you can go to get a 10-day free trial, during which time you will have access to all of the awesome stuff that they do over there. And it's, it's really cool. I love this site and I've been a big fan of the site long before they sponsored any of our shows. And it's because it's such a fun way to learn. And the example that I often give is like when I was trying to figure out what video editing software to get, you know, you think of this site as a place to go to learn something like I want to go and learn how to be really awesome at Adobe Premiere, right? Or I want to learn how to go paperless, or I want to learn GTD from David Allen, whose video is like on this site. Well, in fact, you can go there and, uh, and, and, and you can kind of skirt the system a little bit. I watched three or four different intro videos, one for like Adobe Premiere, one for Avid, one for Final Cut Pro. And based on this kind of quick pro five minute overview of the software, I was able to say, oh man, I would, this one I didn't like, this one I liked the best, and this one was okay. I'm just going to download the trial of the one I really liked. Save myself hours of like downloading and installing software that I would have to painstakingly remove and uninstall later. And they actually came up with something really cool. I don't know if you saw this. I should try and and find the link for it. But they, they spend a lot of time working with like pros. And I guess it's Adobe Photo, it's like Photoshop's 25 year anniversary or something. And they had this guy who's like, he was an old school, like graphic designer for years, way before we ever got into it. Because in my earliest memories, like I had a Mac SE in the, in the, uh, in, or a Mac, yeah, a Mac SE in the like desktop publishing room. It was just one computer of my high school. Like we had a Mac and that's how we did the newspaper. So my earliest experience was like, of trying to typeset something involved choosing a font. We had four, but we could choose them and change the size. And that was pretty amazing. He goes back to like the old days of like, here's how you take like a photograph and how it would have to be cropped. And like, here's how you, you would actually want a headline. You would have to send it down to like the typesetter, which was a person who had like, you know, those, those uh, metal things, they would typeset 
the, the letters and print them and then send them up to you. And you would do all of this to get like that Mad Men presentation to show the client. He walked through like what it used to be like. And it was just amazing to see. And Linda like did this just as part of this whole thing. Linda's on top of it. That's a long way to say you should go check them out. And, and there's a, a ton of really, really interesting content there. Lynda.com slash back to work. Thanks very much to them for supporting this episode. Merlin, man. Puck, puck. Dan Benjamin. Dan, 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 Dan. Dan. I never used to think about these kinds of things. You never had to. Never had to. Mm-hmm. Never had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a lot to say about this. I want to hear about it. Yeah, well, I don't want to monopolize the show with feelings. <laughs> yeah. Another episode monopolized by feelings. Yeah. I don't know. I I you know, like my kids are super sad that, you know, that my mom is is moving. And I'll miss her and I'm sad that she's leaving too. But like I'm not I'm not crying about it. They're crying about it. I'm not crying about it. But when I was their age, I would have been, I would have been crying about it. And there's some things that like, it's not like I'm hiding my emotion or I'm shutting it down or I'm holding back or I'm struggling to not cry. It's also not that I don't have emotion or feel a great deal of emotion for my mom. I do. I love her, you know, but like I'm, I'm sad, but I'm not overtly sad. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm sad in a way that I feel that I know I will miss her. Uh, I know my kids will miss her and that makes me sad, but I'm not like breaking down. And it's interesting because almost like, I feel like I like maybe should I be more sad about it? No, because I know I'll see her. I know I'll still talk to her. Uh, I know we'll, we'll visit and she'll visit here. So I'm looking forward now to those times instead of sort of dwelling on the sad part. But as a younger person, I, I wasn't able to do that as much. It was more the, the leaving and the not seeing that was, overwhelming and looking at my little kids that's kind of what they're experiencing well you know they're they're little kids that's you know it's uh i think most of the stress we feel as parents is when uh when kids don't act like adults or don't act like something that's like understandable or uh programmatic or logical to us you know because we're not looking through their eyes we're looking through our own eyes so i mean you know that life goes on but to her like that this is a big separation you know it is yeah I don't know. I don't her know what the answer one. is for making her first, that her first one. Right. I don't know what the answer is for making that better because I've become pretty allergic to the whole idea of trying to talk people out of being sad. I think it's one thing to like encourage people and to say that that hope is out there, but like there's nothing more annoying than somebody trying to cheer you up when you don't want to be cheered up. Yeah. You know, see also grieving. <laughs> I only cry when I watch Doctor Who. Not only cry, but I mostly cry when I watch Doctor Who. What made me cry recently? Humans made me cry. Which episode um, of uh, Humans? The good one, six. Mm. Yeah, that was a good one. We talked about that a little bit. I got tutored at by AMC. How about that? Did you that really? Weird? I got tutored at. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't like the last episode. Neither did I at all. Boy, I thought it was a real letdown. It's such a letdown. The letdown. Well, don't spoil it for people. Yeah, I know. But it, no, it really was a letdown. It... it, it... <sighs> It's a different show. It was it was almost yes. like a different show. It felt like they had taken a break from filming for a year and then kind of brought everyone back in and said, "Don't worry so much about remembering where we were at an emotional contextual level. Just just go through the lines." Right. Just do the lines. Do the lines. Just just read this. Yeah. 
Now, Mr. Robot, which we have already spoiled for everyone. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, I have seen so many people tweet to us saying, because of what you guys said, made me interested. So at the expense of the one listener for whom we ruined it for by saying two words, I think there's a lot of people who those two words became the inspiration to then to start watching the show, which I'm very happy about. I think now that show, last episode, if you're caught up yet, Wow. Wow. I liked, um, what was the one I really liked? I just to try, you, you sent me, you sent me this, uh, uh, manic text about having watched the latest one and it made me want to catch up. Yeah. So I watched like three in a night. Yeah. And starting with, what are we up to eight now? I think it's the season finale is tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. I really liked, Oh, what was it called? Brave Traveler? Was that number six? I don't know. Brave Traveler. Um, it's the one that involves Shayla's former colleague. Okay. And needing Elliot to help him with something. Yes. Yes. That was a really good episode. Yes. It's I like seeing Elliot on the ropes. I like when Elliot <laughs> I like when Elliot is is able to like turn the tables and go like, well. Okay, you got me, but also now I've got you. <laughs> I, it's it is it's such a such a great trope, you know. Mm-hmm. When uh, you know, especially like in action movies, there's always that sense of like rising danger, rising danger, rising danger. Like this person's gonna die, and then you, they go like, "Well, not only am I not gonna die, but I was doing something you didn't know the whole time." <laughs> Have you seen episode? I, I, I flooped the pig. Have you seen episode? Uh, uh, <laughs> One uh, seven. <laughs> My ancient scholars, <laughs> and he gets his pig out of the cave. Oh, we got to talk about card wars sometime. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, have you seen episode seven, White Rose? Yes, that was pretty great. Yeah, you got to really watch that one because it's it's pulling a lot of switcheroos on you. It really is. Yeah. So that's yeah. Why do you think they shoot the show the way they do? Why why are they why are they always shooting over people's heads? Is that an aesthetic thing? Is it symbolic? Well, it's been much remarked about and, you know, people have done jokey little parodies of it, but I mean, it's, first of all, I mean, it's super finchery. I mean, it's like very, very muted palette, Mm -hmm. very um, kind of hyper-realistic in some ways, but very, you know, muted. But then the way they shoot the cameras is, first of all, they will do some kind of unusual angles, but the framing of the actors is pretty unconventional. I mean, and the most obvious trope is that the person's head, the person talking is like in the lower third of the frame a lot of times mm. or in, a, in, a, in the like lower left hand. Watch how many shots where somebody's head is in like the lower left hand corner. And they're still, you know, observing the rule of the 180 degree rule and all that kind of stuff. Conversation still makes sense. But the way they uh, frame the shots is, is very unusual. Once you start noticing, you can't unnotice it. I need to start paying attention because I have not, I have not what? consciously watched for that i'm sorry oh my goodness oh my goodness yeah it's a thing that's a good show i, I you know i still uh, i'm not sure i understand it but you know I'm, I'm, i i like it a lot and i'll find myself my wife and i'll just turn to each other like as we're watching an episode like, god this show is so well done it's really really well done it really is i still my my theory is unshaken nothing that i've seen so far affects my theory yeah all right enough of that can't, can't well, I'm not going to say what that. the theory is. I'm just going to say it doesn't. Affect, it's, people have said, well, 
Are that, you looking to lose listeners, Dan? Is that what this is? Uh, no, I'm not saying anything about it. I didn't mm-hmm. say what my theory was. I just have a theory. So I had just a, knowing that there's a theory ruins the show for everyone. Oh, come now. <laughs> I had a theory during Lost, and the writers Ooh. ruined the show for me, not me. I had a theory they didn't know how that episode was going <laughs> to end. Right. So the magnets? What was the magnet? <sighs> oh, man. I have been doing a lot of reading about Faraday cages, though. That sounds like something you would get. Um, well, I could see you. I could see you getting a Faraday cage and keeping it very clean. I'm going to be building one. Keep my okay, stuff I'll in. bite. Dan, why would you want a Faraday cage? Well, no, it's not a bite thing. It's I just I feel like you no, know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because a Faraday cage is a place where like any electromagnetic stuff can't get in or out, right? For the most part, yeah, that's a, a, a very good way to explain it. It's um, it's like putting your cell phone in the freezer. But but you're you're the cell phone. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an inc- well. It, you can make a Faraday cage that's quite large. You could you could live in, or you could have a, a large room that's a Faraday cage. It, it could also have something very small uh, that that's a, a Faraday cage. It's just an enclosure, and it can be a variety of sizes. Mm. It doesn't have to be. You know, it, you can. But basically, like you you have electrostatic discharges. You've got lightning, you've got magnetic fields, electromagnetic interference, you've got uh, EMP, potential EMP. I've learned, I thought that like the solar uh, storm was along these same lines, but apparently like you don't need a Faraday cage for that. That's more like a power grid issue. Are you looking for health benefits or privacy? More, you know, as I'm starting to, to consider a little bit of the prepping thing you know the doomsday stuff um you know maybe i want a place where i could put my computer you still and still be able to use it later in an emergency because it gets electric uh, electricity after the grid's gone down no you don't have to i mean the grid would be affected for sure but you know wouldn't it be uh, solar arrays alternative hmm. sources of power i'm just invested i'm an investigator you know that's what i'm that's what i do and i'm can, hmm. i'm starting to learn about this you know maybe Maybe it would be fun to build a Faraday cage. Did you hear about the thing where people were taking, listen to this. Listen to how ingenious the car thieves have gotten. I'm not worried about this. I'm just saying, like, to consider. Right. Do you have one of those proximity, if, if you have one of those proximity things on your car, where, like, I have a keychain on my car that if I, when I get close to the car, it knows that I'm close. It'll, if it's nighttime, it'll put on a little like light, like on the car. And oh, close. interesting. And then when you grab the handle of the car, it will unlock the doors. You don't have to take your key out to do Cause, it. Because it knows it's a near field thing. It knows it's you. Yes. And then mm. when you get into the car, you don't put the key in the car. You just hit a button. It knows you're in the car and it starts the car if your foot's on the brake. That sounds cool. It's really cool. Also, my car has another recall. And then if you are like, in the back of the car and you want to open the trunk, it knows that it's you because you have the key in your pocket and it just lets you, it unlocks the trunk when you go to open it. Right. So listen to what the thieves have been doing. There apparently are some kind of whatever the signal is that, uh, that the cars use to have their keyless unlock thing. They're using some kind of amplifier and they're sort of walking around parking lots and parking garages with this amplifier going at maximum levels and what it does is it amplifies the signal from the person's key sitting on their desk 
up in the office building, you know, a hundred yards away or whatever. And then they can just walk up to the car and grab the handle and it unlocks it and they can hit start and the, the car starts and they're able but to steal but it. It wouldn't keep, it wouldn't keep running because it doesn't have the key. It does. Because like, if I have my key and the car's running, if I have my key and I get out, the car will beep, but I think it, I think it still runs. Anyway, they're at least getting in and I don't know if they're stealing the cars or if they're stealing the radios mm. or what they're doing. But you think about stuff like that. Now, if you had a little I Faraday. I can't believe your car would run without your key being in it. Well, the key is just in your pocket. Right, but I mean. It doesn't shut is, once, off. Once they drive the car away, the amplifier is not going to help. It would, it would no longer have the signal. Right, so would the car shut off? I need to test it. I need to throw my. It, it doesn't seem sensible to me that you would only need a key to start the car. But I feel like something bad could happen if I just. Like, I want to test this, but if I, I don't want to test it with my car. Like, I don't want to be driving my car and then chuck the keys out the window and see if it shuts off. Yeah. That seems ill-advised. I wouldn't worry about it. Well, anyway, if you had a little Faraday cage sitting on your desk, you put your keys in there, safe. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but I think that no. would be a neat experiment to try. Okay. EMPs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. That that's uh, That's a thing you could do. Yeah. Is make a Faraday cage for your car keys. But it's neat. I'm just curious. I'm a, you know, like when I was a kid, I had this little, some kind of a vegetable oil and metal shavings in it. And then you put a lid on the container and you have a magnet and you could, you know, those little things where you put the magnet on this, on the plastic and it draws all the little shavings close up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had, my mom was dating a guy uh, who, who was like a, an engineer and he made one of these for me, but he showed me how he made it. And ever since then, I've been like, you can make stuff. You don't just have to buy it. You can make it. Yes. And somehow that's become like frowned upon if it's not like if it's not a store-bought thing, it can't be any good. Well, I don't think that's entirely I true. Think people think that. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm, I'm just trying to get, you know, I, I think there's a lot of neat things that could be made. You have to forgive me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm adjusting to, to why this is, the, uh, 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 I guess I don't know a lot of these things about cars being stolen uh, with, with, with Phantom Rays. Um, and I, 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 no, no, clearly not. It's just an experiment. You're just a scientist. Mm-hmm. Huh. I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, bo- I, I'm bored by the things that we can buy. And I don't like spending money. Oh, I see. And so I feel like what, what can be made, what can be created? When I was a kid, I used to take stuff apart and I've kind of lost that, that, you know, like I would get a radio and I would use it for a little while and it, I like couldn't not take it apart. I couldn't not disassemble it to see how it worked. And I think that led into the whole writing code and becoming a programmer for a living kind of thing, because I felt like I could, I could make stuff and also take it apart and see how it worked and understand it. And I would see something, an application and say, well, how do they do that? I want to learn how they do that. And of course I was never good at like reverse engineering, but I said, well, if they can do it, you know, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another, I mean, I, that's interesting. The, the, the other, uh, the other thing to think about is, uh, you know, like we're, we're so aware of, sometimes intensely aware of how technology is changing faster than culture and law can keep up with it. And so, you know, gosh, look at Uber, the success of Uber, like how they're able to kind of get in like with these weird loopholes and cracks in the system and, you know, or the way that Facebook or any of these companies, you know, end up having all this access to data and we don't always know that. Like that's, we're still catching up with all that stuff. But there's a part of me that thinks that, I don't want to say it'll pale in comparison, but I think it's it's way more interesting in some ways to think about stuff like how's the law going to end up affecting things like 
Um, well, like let's say somebody gets to all that data. Then maybe it's maybe it was a bad day and the mm. encryption didn't work. And mm-hmm. like, what about like what is the liability of that company for your data that you didn't even know they were getting? From you being exposed to other people, right? Or like, what what are the safety implications of a wackadoodle uh, keyless car system? Or you know, what is what does it mean when you find out that like, uh, and this is I don't think this is just tinfoil hat stuff. I think this is real. Like the actuarial uh, tables end up incorporating much more information about the demographics of your area than you're aware of. What happens with like drones are are super interesting right now. Because they're having like there was I, I heard on the radio the other day about a tussle over passing laws about drones, which I think ends up causing some strange bedfellows. So on the one hand, uh, if I'm getting this right, law enforcement does not want to see stronger laws about where drones can go because they want drones to be able to go in and do car chases or see a hostage situation or something like that. Whereas other people are saying like you know shouldn't it be illegal for some uh, you know, consumer with a drone to be able to like take pictures inside your window. I think that's technically legal. Like, if people can shoot stuff from the street, I think that's technically legal. Oh, but like, does that does that change when you could have two or three drones pull right up to your bathroom window and and take a bunch of photos? <laughs> like, how does how does that change the law? Because you know, every law gets passed in the context of the technology and culture of the time. So I don't know. I think it, it ends up leading to some extremely interesting issues and. The irony is, by the time we pass some kind of law that seems to cover bathroom drones, there's going to be 15 new things to think about. So I know it. It's not. It's not so much unlike what Roderick was talking about in his campaign of like, well, you know, instead of trying to think about like what specific, and I'm paraphrasing here, but instead of thinking about what current specific technology vendors want to sell us and focusing on building our infrastructure around that, how do we create an infrastructure? that will, to use that word again, have plasticity as mm-hmm. these new technologies come along. That's a much bigger and more interesting challenge. And I think in, in places like law, society, and culture, like, it's going to get super duper weird. I am fascinated and terrified by the drone thing for so many different reasons. Like, my next-door neighbors, recently they sold their home, and... I was really, it was interesting because the way that they were selling their home, part of the deal with the real estate agent, they flew a drone up and like around their property so that they could create this really interesting, like, here's an aerial view of the house. And, you know, but like as neighbors, you think, well, is, is that, I mean, you remember all the hubbub about Google maps showing aerial photographs of people's houses and their yards and things like that. And people, a lot of people feeling like that was an invasion of privacy. What you're talking about is a thousand times more invasive than that. But you know, there, I could imagine people like, well, you know what, maybe I don't really want my home as part of this tour of the neighborhood for my next door neighbor's house when they're trying to sell it. I didn't care. But, you know, like my backyard is pretty boring and there's, you know, we're not out doing nude sunbathing or anything. But a lot of people consider like the space surrounding their yard or their house, like that's theirs straight up and straight down, you know, like oh, up, yeah, up right. into the sky as far as it can go and then down under the ground as far as it can go. Like that's, I own this plot of land as high and as low as it goes, you know? Well, think about, think about 100 or 150 years ago with the idea of mineral rights. Where you would, you know, for for a long time, we, there was not much. I and I, I'm cribbing this from a podcast too, but there wasn't that much idea of land ownership 
Actually, you know what this was? This was from Unjustly Maligned, which is a very fun podcast hosted by Anthony Johnston. And so he has somebody on each week to talk about something that most people hate, and they want, that person defends it and why they think it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And the guy this week was on talking about the board game Monopoly, and it was fascinating. This guy loves Monopoly. He knows the history of Monopoly. Uh, I'll put it in show notes because it's definitely worth listening to. It was super interesting. But one of the things he talked about was how, you know, at the turn of the last century, of, of the 19th into the 20th century, there was not so much an idea of land ownership by most people. Most people did not, like, own lots of land. Either that land was not owned by anybody, or it was owned by this, essentially, like, this, this oligarchy. So, anyway, I'll put that in notes because that's worth listening to. It makes me rethink the game quite a lot. But, but, you know, but think about the idea of saying, like, think about there will be blood. Think about the idea of coming in. And when you go into a community and say, you know, we want to buy this piece of land from you, mm. there's so much more to it than buying that piece of land because you're also buying what's underneath that land, right? And most people at a certain point probably weren't thinking that much about that. But like, I also get all of the oil or the gold or the silver or the copper or whatever is in here. And so now we're talking about like, well, is there a similar thing for our privacy? Should we have that be an area where you're not allowed to just buzz in and, you know, like what, what are you allowed to do with a drone? It becomes super interesting. And like an, another funny thing in law is the way that we, I feel like we end up uh, creating or tolerating fairly um, wide ranging laws based on worst case scenarios. So, you know, and I don't mean this to be political, I just think it's interesting. But when, when we think about, we'd say like, well, how would you feel about being searched by other Americans and having them massage your balls before you can get on a plane? Mm. They go, well, that doesn't seem cool. Right. Like, how about we get, have old ladies in wheelchairs who like, we maybe want to see if they can really stand up and we search their wheels or, you know, we got to take off your shoes before you get on a plane. If you'd asked that 15 years ago, people would have said, that seems really dystopian. Right. But, you know, because terrorism. Right. Understandably. Right. Right. We want to be safe. You know, <laughs> there was an infographic going around, though, about how number of TSA people charged with stealing 400 number of terrorists caught zero. But anyway, uh, email Dan. <laughs> but I think if you think about that, so think about stuff like the kidnapped child scenario or the ticking bomb scenario where you say, wouldn't you want law enforcement to have the most up to date te- technological weapons like you want them to have the bigger machine gun in this case? For things like, you know, like you want, you would want, like if you could imagine a drone or 15 drones, imagine like an AIM style army of drones that could go collapse on a building, totally surround a building, and then use the latest technology to do things like identify electronic signals, triangulate where people are, or what, what would the opposite be? Do, or like, uh, decatinate like with like 10 different drones you get a pretty good idea like exactly where people are in the building right you could do heat signatures you could do motion you could do all that stuff well like if you're watching you know 24 you would go or uh you know homeland you would think my god yes do anything to get that kid out of there Mm -hmm. but then like you take a step back and go like well what what all information are they gathering that's not about a ticking bomb scenario and then what can they do they never got a warrant for that is can they just store that information and use it in the future for whatever? And you know, I'm not trying to say I got a strong political opinion on this, although I probably do. But I, I just think that those are the kinds of issues that it's going to be virtually impossible to keep up with. We are already so at sixes and sevens about drones, which are a kind of technology that have been around for at least a decade. So, like, what's going to happen as this technology accelerates? You might want a Faraday cage. Let's be honest. Well, 
I, I love how you, you know, connected the, the, those dots, but you're right. And we don't know, you know, you think about every time that you walk out in public, especially in the big cities, you're, you're being recorded, you know, you're, you're, you're being recorded. If you're walking around in a hotel lobby, you're being recorded. If you're in a bank, you're certainly being recorded. You know, many, many buildings have surveillance, whether they post it or not, they have surveillance. There's a lot of places, companies where you work that, uh, you know, that have like regular surveillance and monitoring going on inside the building, whether it's for theft or for other purposes. And it's getting more and more difficult to not be captured on video if you're out somewhere if you're out in the world you right. kind of just need to assume video is just the beginning though because yeah. think about your key card for your room and right. to be honest for anybody who's not watching mr robot this is the kind of stuff that they explore on the show mr robot is it's about you know a guy who's a hacker um or a cracker as we used to say and uh, so yeah a lot of it is like breaking security systems but it's also about two super interesting things which is infrastructure like what would happen if you had access to screw with somebody's hvac system and number two what can you do with social engineering that's the really interesting part. Like, was yeah. it Mitnick? Mitnick talked about this, you know? The easiest thing to do is, like, call up the CEO and tell them they have to change their password. That's way easier than breaking into a system. So, you know, if you enjoy this kind of stuff and you can tolerate this kind of talk, you might want to check out Mr. Robot because they cover some of this. It's, it's been very thought-provoking for me. You know, your hotel scenario is very interesting because, you know, you ever notice when you, you go out for the day and they clean your room, like, they turn the air conditioning, you know, higher, uh, stuff has been arranged and rearranged. And it's like just on the basis of what they know about that card combined with, I would guess, like a motion sensor in the room. Don't you imagine there's a motion sensor in the room? Oh, you know, there probably is, but I have never seen one the way that like we have an alarm in system in our house. And usually when you walk, the little light. Yeah, I've got that in my office. Turns yeah. on, yeah. So I, I, but I've never seen one of those in a hotel room. But that doesn't mean that there isn't one, right? I, mean, in fact, actually, I take that back because there was one hotel room that, like, as you walked into, it was very, very like redone interior. So as you walked in a different area, like the light would turn on. So yeah, there has to be in some of them at least a, a motion sensor. Yeah, I remember when I first time I well, I've only been to England once, I think, but when I was in Brighton. It seems so crazy to me that you had to have your, I've seen this now in the US, but where you have to have your key card in a slot for the electric to work. Have you gotten that? Yes. You put it in, you walk in the door and then there's like a little thing and you put it and otherwise you can't, like the refrigerator, if there's one will still go, but you can't turn on the lights or you can't flush the toilet or whatever without that in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's usually at least one, uh, not to say hardwired, but there's one protected one or two protected um, electric slots, but if you uh, if you take your card out of there, just everything just shuts off. It's mm. I mean, it's a really interesting idea to save energy, but I don't know that data goes somewhere. And I honestly don't think I'm being a raving paranoiac. No, about you're this. not. You're really not. Well, no, I, I it's, it's it's and it's even less like I'm not even feeling sheer terror about this. I'm feeling interested and intrigued. You know that just. Um, you know, what's going to, what's going to happen with all that stuff. I don't know. It's very interesting. So, you know, maybe I should learn how to make a Faraday cage. I can have a Faraday cage match. That's probably already a joke. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to be one of the people who doesn't go overboard with this, but also considers it and takes it seriously. Not because I'm concerned about an invasion of privacy because I really don't like, that's not a, you know, I'm, I'm not that worried about that. 
But, you know, there's been all this talk about ghostly and people starting to use ghostly to or ghostery rather ghostery to block all of the trackers. And there's this discussion that's been ongoing for a while about how heavy websites have become in large part due to all of these little scripts that every every website is including that, you know, not just Google Analytics, but then you've got the big ones like Facebook and Twitter. But then you've also got all of these other ad dynamics companies that that are tracking everything that we do online. We know the big ones, right? We know Google, but we don't know these thousands of other ones. And on some websites you go to, there's like 28, I've seen 28 show up. Yeah, well, in what's the, what's the, what's the biggest you found? 28 probably, but I can't remember. Which. I, the, big, the biggest one I can remember off the top of my head was Wired. Really? Wired. Well, I'm not saying it to be mean. It's just no, like, once I got Wired. Ghost reinstalled, I would. I, it was interesting to see. I have a little contest with myself to see how many. It's only showing thirteen. Yeah, I'm looking thirteen right now. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's crazy. you know there's so much of that. There is so much of this tracking that's going on, and we say, well, who who cares if the internet knows that I read these articles on Wired and then I read this one on on CNN and then I read this Wall Street Journal article and then I looked at Kung Fu uh, gripe and then I looked at, you know, whatever, like who cares? But at some point, you know, is it an invasion of privacy? And I guess it's how you look at the internet and how you feel about the internet. If you think of the internet as a public place that you are passing through the way you would, if you were in an airport or a restaurant or a hotel lobby and not your own personal private home, then I think you're fine. And anything you do there is probably fine. And like, yes, I paid my bill at Time Warner Cable and then I bought something from Amazon and then I read an article. And, you know, you don't care who knows that. If you consider that everything you're doing, you might as well be doing at a public terminal in a library, even if it or a university, even if it's in your own house. Like, would you do it on your work computer knowing that you have a firewall and every, everywhere you go is logged? Yes, I would do it there. Then, then if you think about that in your own home, you would say, well, no, it, at home is like, that's where I could do the stuff that I want to do. And no one knows, but people still know. A lot of people still know, whether it's a human being or just this big pile of data that's being filtered through and somehow connected to this, this profile that they're building. Well, who's they? Who knows? And I'm not, I'm not paranoid and this doesn't really bother me, but just we need to accept the fact that this is the trade-off, you know? And when I've heard Andy Anatko talk yeah. about like, why he likes Android, he is, he's, he's made that decision that, yes, Google is tracking the things that I do and the things that I look at, and I'm okay with that because what it gives me back enriches my life significantly enough that I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to give up that degree of privacy that somewhere so Google, as, a, as an entity, knows where I live and knows the Panera, in his case, Panera, that I go to the most and and can tell me how far away those things are from each other that's handy and i would rather just know that on the main home screen than have to go look it up and so yeah i'll i'll give them i'll give up my my privacy a little to get that back right let me tell you about something i like it is wealthfront wealthfront is a low-cost automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way it works 24 7 to manage your portfolio it keeps it diversified it customizes it to your risk profile because you fill out this really cool little profile when you get started. And it optimizes its trading behavior to keep your tax bill low, all without ever charging commissions. So whether you've got like millions of dollars or you're just starting out, 
Wealthfront is the most sophisticated way to invest your money. It is a very, very cool service. And this is kind of the service I wish had been around when I was younger and first starting out, because I know if it had been, I would have been much more inclined to invest and invest better as opposed to the old, you know, put some money under the mattress kind of, uh, kind of take that so many people still do. If you're lucky enough to be able to save some money, you want to invest it. You want to make the money work for you. And, uh, and Wealthfront just makes it so easy. It's all online. You don't have to, to deal with people and their opinions. You deal with facts and you deal with data and you deal with analytics. And this is all possible because of these investment strategies like tax loss harvesting and direct indexing and all of this after-tax return optimization stuff that's way over the head of most of us, me included. They're doing all of that. And these are the kinds of services that are usually limited and restricted to people with tons and tons of money, a lot of which they have to spend on the financial advisor. Wealthfront makes it possible for everyone, and uh, and it's it's very affordable. How much is it with Wealthfront? You're going to pay one quarter of 1% a year, which uh, for, for the fancy like uh, analysts out there, that's uh, 25 basis points, zero commissions, no hidden fees. That's less than $5 a month to invest a $30,000 account. Wealthfront.com slash 5x5 is where you go to sign up. Wealthfront.com slash 5x5 supports this show, supports 5x5, and, uh, and, and they're great. Go check them out, Wealthfront.com. I must read a disclaimer. For compliance purposes, I have to tell you that Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involve risks, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read the full disclosure. Well done. It's it's a litigious place we live in. Mm, Can I tell you how I open a jar? Yes. So first of all, uh, and I, I probably read this on the internet, but uh, this is this served me well. Here's how most people try to open a jar: is, is they act like they're knocking down a door. So you get a thing of spaghetti sauce, and you hold your elbows in real close to your torso, and maybe you're real smart. And you're gonna keep your center of gravity by holding the the, the the sauce like close to your chest, and then you grab, you grab with mm. your claw of the hand, you grab onto that top, and you you're just all angry, and you just grab as hard as you can, and then you start turning with your wrist. I think that's how a lot of people kind of try to open a jar. That sounds right. Now, what people don't know, turns out, is that when you're grabbing super hard with your hand, you're actually making it harder to open. You're, you're, you're cleaving it unto the jar. That lid is actually, it's, it does not want to be held that tightly. So here's my method, and I'm sure I read this on the internet, but here's instead do this. You hold, hold the jar in whatever your non-dominant hand is. In my case, that's my left hand. And you, you hold it, right? Okay. Now, take your right arm, in my case, and put the right arm at about a 90-degree angle from your body in like an L shape, right? Kind of okay. like a robot. Okay, I'm imagining this. So, right, it's, it's like almost like, uh, so you can, now your, your arm should be parallel to the ground. Is it? And to get like a 90-degree angle yes, yes, at your elbow? I've got it out, yeah. Okay, now, put your hand onto the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> Hold it firmly in your left hand, your non-dominant hand. With your dominant hand, grab onto the top. And hold it tightly enough, just tightly enough to have a grip. No tighter. So hold if, if, if it's slipping, grab it tighter. Or use like a rubber dingus. But in any, in any case, grab on with your hand, not too tight. Now, do not turn with your wrist. Turn, imagine turning with your shoulder. Imagine that your arm is a big lever. And you're basically, while you hold the top, you're moving your elbow out while mostly maintaining 
that 90 degree angle. Okay. And it's like using a crowbar. Oh, interesting. I can imagine that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, now try that. There's not a name for this. There will not be a t-shirt or a website, but please try the jar method. Jar method. Let, try the jar method uh, and, and, and let me know if that works for you. And if you have a better way, let me know. Also, you know how to get ketchup out of a bottle, right? Whoa, maybe, maybe not. I've heard you tap, you, you have to, um, supposed to tap the, Hi- the Heinz logo. 45 degree angle and tap the 57. 57. Tap the 57 on the bottle. What is, what, I mean, there's nothing mystical about the 57, right? You could tap no, the other side. No, but it's at, just at the point where it's going to, it's going to break the vacuum. You don't have to stick a knife in there oh, like an that's animal. That's the worst of people doing that. We'll do that and then they put it on the table. Oh man. I don't get it. Ugh. Ugh. Where, where do you put snacks when you're at the movies? If, if I'm, is it just my snack or am I'm I sharing sorry, I'm with assuming my... that you eat in a theater, which I should not have assumed. No, 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 I, I you do get that. Your, you I got your kid an ice cream or a popcorn. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do? Do you put it on the floor? Oh no, 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 you can, <laughs> no. Okay. If food is below table height, I won't eat it. <laughs> Stop there. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want any more info than that. That's it. Oh, it's exactly perfect. Okay. Exa- you just, you just, we just dropped like three or five really important life hacks. <laughs> if it's below table level, you don't eat it. No. You don't eat food in your lap? Well, no, not really. No, your lap's a kind of table. I, I guess, I guess in a in a in a pinch that could work. But like, mm. if it's close to, if it could be near the floor, the floor could touch it. Then yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, that's for that's that for animals and children. Mm. Do your kid, your kid eat stuff off the floor? Oh, Shelly, are you kidding me? And she keeps screaming out five second rule. And as Ben Chapman has told us, there is not actually anything to the five second rule. Once it's touched the ground, it's already probably not a good thing to eat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she'll eat anything. She doesn't care. All right. Never cruel or cowardly. Never give up. Never give in. That's the credo. Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You ever seen that? The 11th hour? No. Not no. the 11th hour. Day of the Doctor. You ever seen Day of the Doctor? It's Is really that good. the... No. Yeah. That's the one where... Uh, that's the one where... Um, we're 10 and 11 and eight and a half show up. Mm, no, There's I a cameo by four. We think it's four, but who knows? <sighs> who knows? You should watch it. It's really good. It makes me cry. I cry and cry. I, can't, I don't know. That's, that show seems intimidating yes. and impenetrable to me. Yes. Yes, it is impenetrable. I feel like I would need to start back with season one, episode oh, one. Oh, geez. No, please. William Hartnell. William Hartnell. William Hartnell. I had something else I wanted to talk about. No, go ahead. If, if go ahead. we're if we're if we're looking for additional topics this week, well, I, I got I got I got a couple things I want to mention. We got some nice feedback from listeners, but uh, give me another topic. I am going to try an experiment, and this may be outside the scope of of this show, but it is a life hack, and I feel like since we are the main life hackers that that, that mm. we know, mm-hmm. um, I am going to be. De- turning off, disconnecting, and canceling cable television in my home as an experiment. Just as an experiment. Hopefully it'll work, it'll pan out, and we won't ever have to look back. I rarely, rarely miss it. How long have you been without it? Um, except for uh, non-contiguously. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Jeez. Because we had TiVo when my kid was little. 
No, we've been mostly cableless for at least like four or five years, I think. That's fantastic. I I, I want to get there. And well, there's there's definite downsides. If you like news and you like free sports and you like tooting about the Oscars, like you're going to be SOL. Or if you want to watch the debates and okay, stuff but, like that, you but need it. I've got that. I've got that. I bought an over the air HDTV antenna. Oh yeah, I saw your antenna, and so you like the one you got. I am ve- I am shocked. In in a way that like it doesn't seem possible, kind of shocked. Oh, put it in notes. I want I want to know which one to get. <sighs> My gosh! Now I'm uh, apparently I did I did a bunch of research on this, and so I read the uh, like the ones on Wirecutter, and I read tons of reviews on Amazon, which are in and of themselves that's a whole show. Uh, trying to decide, and Consumer Reports had a big thing on this. But the kind of universal decision recommendation is we, no one can make a recommendation because it's so subjective based on where you are. Got to go to Palgear, Palgear.com. Yes. You did need, you go there? I did. That's <laughs> amazing. It is amazing. There is so much into this. I mean, people are so into this stuff. And you, if you're, here's, here's my recommendation. If you're trying to decide which antenna to get, Palgear is a wonderful place to go. There are a couple of other sites. Read reviews from people who live in the neighborhood you live in, if you can, because they will have tried like three different antennas. And you think, well, I'll go and buy the $200 antenna. That's fine. If I'm going to be saving 100 bucks a month in two months, I'll reimburse. That antenna may suck for you in your neighborhood. You may be better with the $18 knockoff antenna from China, and that's the one that will work best in your neighborhood. Like there's no rhyme or reason. I got lucky uh, because I found a bunch of articles that were kind of of people similar to my situation. So like I'm, there's another site I need to look it up uh, and, and put it into the show notes, but there are websites out there where you can put in your address and it, it will tell you where you are in relation to the broadcast antennas in your city or town. Yep. And depending on how far you are away from those antennas, that will determine what kind and size antenna. Or, or what's between you and the antenna. Right. Yes. And so here in Austin, there, there's this famous uh, hill up on Westlake where there are these big antennas that you, you, know, you can see them at night and you can drive by and they're really kind of cool. And I was never sure what kind of broadcast antennas they were. It turns out they are actually the TV and radio broadcast antennas. And I'm, I'm not quite line of sight to them, but pretty close and only about nine miles away from them. So I had a feeling we would get pretty good signals. I get 32 channels on this, uh, through this HD TV antenna. And, uh, some of them are in English and they are really the ones like the main ones for the CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox type, type channels. Super, super clear. I will say I have never seen this good of a picture on a TV outside of like going to one of those 4K TVs. I'm not saying it looks like a 4K TV. I'm just saying it is incredibly crisp. And everybody was telling me on Twitter, they're like, Dan, you're going to be blown away because the signals are not compressed. They're these raw, beautiful signals. And they look amazing. Hmm. Watch sports on one of these. Oh my gosh, it's just, it looks amazing. The picture, the signal, the cartoons look like, you know, like the, a lot of the kids' cartoons are sort of computer, like the lines on them are insane 
crisp, clear signal. It's beautiful. This is inspiring. And it now, costs, you'd buy the antenna. It doesn't cost anything. Well, does the, when you have line of sight to the antenna, does the antenna have to be, I mean, like, what does that mean? Well, line, I'm line not, of sight visually that there's no obstructions, but you can have it anywhere in the house and it'll still work? Well, yeah, I think so. I'm not, like, I thought it had to be on a window. So I put it up on the window and then I actually found I got better reception when I just attached it to the back of the entertainment center. It's just back behind, like, it's not. That's it? Yeah. Oh, I'm getting these it. are interior. These are inside the house antennas. These are, you don't have to like climb around on your roof like the 1940s, like a uh, Christmas yeah. story or something. Uh, like Iron Giant. Yeah, Iron Giant. You just put it right on the back, like you. You know, th- one one guy thumbtacked it to the wall behind his TV. I have mine uh, right like attached to the to entertainment center in the back of it. It's not even by the window, and wow. it, you get these great channels. So one thing that people have said to me is. What are you going to do about, you know, recording it and watching it later? And I said, well, the, the only reason that I got this is so that I can watch sports and so that I can watch uh, live sports, live news, live weather. You know, my wife likes watches the weather. So this, you know, this was something I wanted to have, but it's only for live stuff. I don't care. I'm not going to try to record it. I don't want to record it. I don't record and watch sports later anyway. This is just for the live stuff. For the recorded stuff, there's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's uh, there's Plex, there's you know uh, HBO Now, there's all of these other apps that you can then stream up to your Apple TV. So that's solved. I'm not worried about that. But this HD antenna turned me around. Like it, it doesn't seem like you should be able to do this. It doesn't seem like it should work. But it also it sounds like it makes you realize how compressed a lot of images are. It's crazy. Like it's really crazy how crisp and clear it for me was as much going from you know, the local news on the cable channel and the local news on this HDTV uh, over the air antenna was as dramatic for me as a non-retina versus a retina screen. It's really shocking how different it looks. And how much How much was it, if I could ask? Yeah, of course. This particular antenna that I got that comes in three sizes, which you get, and I'm, I'm pulling up the link for it now, based on how far away you are from your... Uh, from your your tower, you basically get an antenna that's how far away it thinks you are. I got, it's called, the one I got is called the Mohu Leaf. I got the 50 because I wasn't sure if I would need it. That's a 50-mile range. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go nuts and I'll get the 50-mile. I probably would be just fine with the 30, but I I went, I kept the 50 anyway. It's, it's, and, and it's there's two kinds. You can get them where they're amplified, where it has like a little power connection to it. Mm-hmm. Or 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 not powered, and the the fifty has um, the power. The thirty, I don't think does, but the power is USB, and a lot of TVs have a little USB plug in the back anyway. Mm-hmm. So you've got a mm-hmm. coax cable coming from your antenna that goes down and then splits off, and one end just plugs into the TV, and the other end goes into USB. But my TV, I found out had a USB thing in the back, so I didn't even need to plug that into anything else. And that the the thirty is thirty nine bucks. And the fifty is uh, is sixty nine bucks. So I probably spent more than I needed to on it, but I'll put it in show notes. And it has a frustration free packaging, which is nice. And again, mm-hmm. like you may not need to spend anywhere near that much. You might be able to spend the one that's that's eighteen dollars or twenty five dollars. It's going to vary based on your area. But this one had nine thousand nine hundred sixty nine reviews and like four or five stars on Amazon. So I, I figured I would go with it, and I'm I'm happy with it. It just it's awesome. 
Like for oh, a one-time I see, purchase. I see, I see. Mohu Leaf 50 indoor HDTP antenna. Yeah. You know, the main thing that's kept me from doing it is like, I, I feel like I, well, I know when I'm walking into a place that has um, not cable, not dish TV, because right. like they'll have an exquisite signal that suddenly fritzes out for no reason. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to, I mean, it's not even a money issue exactly, but right. it's like, ugh, that seems really gross. Are you thinking about getting a recorder thing for it? No, because I really just, there's nothing live that I really want to record that much. If I want to watch a debate, I'm going to watch it live. If I want to watch the Oscars, I'm going to watch it live. I to be able to watch Stephen Colbert. I'm, um, it's the first time in a long time I've been really excited about a late night show. Me too. But I, but I don't want to be up late now to is, watch it. Is there another way to get that that's legit legal way to do it? Like, well, are they obviously gonna... they will be heavily crafting the show to be viral. Yeah to John Oliver eyes it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then what, what's the go-to people use for recording now? There uh, is I guess something there. Yeah. There's a, a couple people have tweeted to me their solutions, but I would love to hear more. I'm, I, I do want to know that if I could do this, it'd be interesting to do it. I really don't know. I think you would have to get one of those little devices that converts a coax signal into whether it these days whether it be USB or whether it be like a Thunderbolt kind of a port, but I know yeah, that, I'm looking at that right now. It looks like it goes coax in this case coax to USB, right? And then it, it you can watch it live, but it can also like record it. And there's recorder software. What is the name of that? The Elgato. There's a is the well. There's this isn't Slingbox. Slingbox will do is it. One? I don't know. I don't know. We should do some research. I'm going to do some research. And if, if any of you out there have done this, one guy's like, oh, I use such and such a device that I got a new egg and it's connected to a Linux thing running this. And I'm like, okay. All right. Easy text. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Hmm. All right. ITV. Well, we'll check this out. Elgato ITV is what I think you, you can use and then you can stream it around. But anyway. Hmm. The last Elgato device I had was an H.264 accelerator for the Mac. Is a USB dingus you could plug in that would help encode faster on a slow Mac. Oh, wow. Yeah, times change. Yeah, video capture. So you're essentially getting a coax to computer video capture type situation that I'm just... Let's, not, start, let's start easy. Start small. Yeah, start small. But oh anyway. my God, we've been recording for an hour and a half, Dan. Well, let me do our final sponsor and then we can do your follow-up and feedback. We got a couple more. Yeah, yeah. Squarespace is our, uh, is our third and most uh, beautiful sponsor. It's the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. And sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. You don't have to code. If you want to code, there are ways. Oh, there are ways, but you do not mm-hmm. have to. Intuitive, it's easy to use. State-of-the-art technology behind the scenes. You don't have to worry about security. You don't have to worry about stability. You don't have to worry about uh, DDoSing. Millions of people are using this and some really big brands, some really, really, really well-known sites are, are re- relying on this. And you can sell stuff with Squarespace. You can run a podcast on Squarespace. You can, uh, you can upload your album to Squarespace and use their little like media player. They do so much and it starts at just eight bucks a month and you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. You can start your free trial. They have a special URL, squarespace.com slash back to work. And the, the show code that you're going to use, the promo code, to get 10% off your first purchase is It's Your Show, all one word, spelled out like that. It's your show. And uh, go get started. Go check out Squarespace. Eight bucks a month. It's, it's so affordable. And you really can customize these sites and really make them stand out. Don't feel like you're going to get stuck with some template that looks like what everybody else is using. 
you'll be able to make this thing your own and, uh, and, and no one will have any idea that you didn't hire like a team of designers to make it look awesome and, and work perfectly. Go check them out. Squarespace.com slash back to work code is it's your show for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. Merlin man. Thanks Squarespace. Bok, bok. Oh, you know, I don't have, we, we don't have time to go into too much of these longer ones. Um, Oh, okay. So, so, uh, okay. So let, let's mention uh, one, one bit of follow up and then two, two, uh, two promotions. I got one. You got one. Um, Dr. Donald Schaffner, Dan. Yeah. He's, he's, he's reached out a hand to you. Are you aware of this? He did. Did he, he, what did he do? Well, yeah, he, he and Ben, they're trying, he says, Oh he, yeah, they want to help me out with the beef jerky they situation. Want to give you, they want to give you complimentary jerky help. Yes. They want to take your jerky method, make it more hygienic. And these guys are the real deal. They're smart. They know about time and temperature and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to say, if you don't want to do it, say you don't want to do no, it. No, I want to do it. I'm, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so far behind. There's some things going uh, on. I'm so Don, far behind. Don, last name withheld. Dr. Don, last name withheld, writes, just to reiterate, because <laughs> boy, does he ever get stuff done. Yeah. I would really like to help Dan with his beef jerky recipe and the science needed to make it safe. I would need to know the type of dehydrator he would use and the recipe. So if you could have Grace put that together and send it to Dr. Donald Schaffner, last name withheld, uh-huh. you will get, he and Ben, will, will, they will collapse on this. They will huddle on this and they will give back to you a bespoke beef jerky recipe that is not deadly. I would love that. The answer is yes. I'm flattered that they would like to help so much and, and help my family. Um, well, I think, you know, after, after Ben ruined your life, I think it's the least he could do to try and to put the pieces back together. Well, I, I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to. Mm. Uh, but yes, I would, I will do that. I don't own a dehydrator and I will buy any dehydrator that, that they tell me to get. I don't have one, but Try I the will. the HD 50, uh, dehydrator. It mounts right on the back of your TV. <laughs> <laughs> but don't but run I... it, don't run it too low for too long. If you know what I mean. Yeah. But I will, uh, I will, I will send them an abridged recipe. I can't don't give it all away. It? I can't have oh, to leave geez. out at least a couple ingredients. God, you and your IP. So uh, thanks to Donald, uh, Donald Chef, Dr. Donald Chef, and her last name withheld. For Thank help you, guys. That, and for Ben, ben Chapman, last yeah, name withheld. wonderful. Uh, I think we each want to, uh, well, I don't, this isn't a promotion. I'll go first because it's really, it's, it's your network. But um, <laughs> uh, just, just uh, going up just this morning, uh, I, I visited with our friend uh, Andy Anatko on the Anatko Almanac. And we recorded a podcast episode where we talked about Project Runway, which is a television program that Andy and I like a lot. It was a lot of fun to do. He ducked my audio pretty hard. I get ducked pretty hard in it, but you know, that keeps me from talking over, you know, but, but it's good. We talked about, uh, I think we almost cried a little bit talking about Tim Gunn. Um, well, I talked about how I think Keeney got robbed on the project rainway challenge. He's more of a Sean man. We go head to head on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we talked all about it. We suggest some good places to start. Um, see, see Dan, it's a no brainer for me to tell you st- start at season two. The problem is because it used to be on Bravo and now they're, they're, they're a bunch of animals. You got to go buy that on DVD or find it someplace else, which is kind of a bummer. But yeah. also it's an SD, which is hard on the eyes. But, um, but anyway, I wanted to thank Andy. Thank you, Dan, for letting me uh, join Andy on the program. Uh, it, was, it was really fun to do. I love Project Runway, and it's always great to talk to Andy. That's, that's at 5by5.tv slash IA. Is that yes, right? correct. Wow, first guess. Pretty good. And yeah, tell, tell me about your new program. Make sure people know about this. Oh, okay. Um, I have a, a show with, uh, with uh, our mutual friend, recent friend to me, uh, John Roderick, which I it still feels weird saying it because uh, I've just 
it's so it's so amazing. The only reason I, I'm even speaking to him is is because of you, Merlin. So thanks for the introduction. I wasn't really familiar with this work until I started listening to Roderick on the Line, one of one of the best podcasts of all time. All the great shows. All the great shows. And I I was secretly listening to it a little before I, I let on. And then he subbed for you, uh, I think, a total of three times. But after the first time he did it, it was so it was so much fun and blew my mind. And uh, there is just no one else uh, like him around. And so when when he and I started talking, I had the opportunity to to record a little bit more together and toss around the idea of maybe maybe doing something a little you know more regular. Uh, he was into it. I was into it. So we have started a show called Roadwork. And that's at 5x5.tv slash roadwork. And we are going to be recording our second episode this week. And we've got the first one out. And the response has been really fun. And it's it's so much fun doing it. And I think that if you enjoy Merlin's uh, show with John, you might also enjoy this because it's more of more of John. But I think, I think we're going in a different direction than Roderick on the line and intentionally in a way. Because I feel like, you know, we, we don't want just more of the same. And, and and so we're trying to to keep it fresh and keep it different. And I hope we've done that. Yay. Is the name a pun? A pun on on this show? I'll take that as a no. No, not really. I mean, I people Was have, it a combination of Roderick on the line and back to work? That's what a couple people said to me. But no. Uh, what it, does it mean? Well, uh, the idea, people were like, oh, I see what you did there. And then I realized that that's what it was. So if, if my subconscious unconscious brain is that smart then yes it's definitely well, when, i mean no, no no answer it how you want but what does road work mean is that a term i don't know that term road work is a term so when you're driving down the road and and you see that there the roads oh, here in the, austin oh you're talking about work upon the road work upon the road work upon the road that's the kind of road work yes i and, thought it might be about comics trying out uh comedians trying out material on the road I like that. Maybe, it's like doing crowd work. Maybe better than my idea. My idea was, so I actually, there's all this construction. And as I was thinking of what we might call the show, there's all this construction going on on the major road that's right outside my house. And there were all these road work signs. And I was like, are, is this crap ever going to be done? Are they ever going to finish this? They've been doing mm. it for year after. And then I thought, what a wonderful allegory for life. And that we're always working on ourselves. And, and maybe if we're lucky, trying to improve ourselves. And, our life is like road work because life is like a road. I was listening to his music at the time and I said, done. Mm. That's good. But I do like the pun thing. So I'm going to go with that. No, 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 no. That's good. Yeah. Listen in. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think he's going to kneel you, which is going to make it good. <laughs> Needle, needling you is funny. Yeah. That's, yeah. I miss that with Syracuse. I really miss that. Yeah. But now I'm the recipient. It's like cats in the cradle. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. John came home just the other day. He was he was displeased with the way I did everything that didn't really rhyme, and John said so. And then I knew that I had to go. I said, Syracuse, please, could you tell me what's wrong? So I wrote this song, John. That's why I wrote this song. And John's in the. Any word on if that will continue? There are small words. <laughs> But I, I'm, I'm in no position to conjecture. Okay. I, I'll tell you this, buddy. Tonight, tonight, toe-to-toe, Faraday cage match, 6.30 p.m., 9.30 Eastern. We're recording episode 10, last episode. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Should come out in about a month. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause I but, think only seven are up so far, right? I, I, I honestly can't keep track. It's impossible to do follow up. We're doing follow up on something that, that came out usually a month and a half ago. So, so here's the thing. When I, when I, when I, when I, when I say erroneously that Synecdoche, New, New York was directed by, um, by Paul Thomas Anderson, like I got to live with that. I got to live with that for six weeks. Oh man. It's brutal. Anyway, uh, podcasts are great. It's a great time for podcasts. Um, do you have anything else that, uh, that you wanted to uh, mention, talk about this week? I feel like that's good. Yeah, I do too. I hope we help some people. I hope so. Um, I'm interested in continue. I know it's way off topic for the show, but I'm interested in the, um, the cord cutting stuff. I think that's something that people are interested in. So I would love to hear uh, how your journey with that goes. I'd love to hear how your Faraday cage is coming along. Okay. And uh, how you'll know whether it's working. Uh, you should I- test it. You should test it. Yeah, I try, try and hack yourself. Okay. Be like a ghost, like I have no trail at all. Car hack. Car yeah. hack. And, oh, we got to talk about the recall. Want to talk about the recall next week? Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, let's button this up. <laughs> Bye. Love you. Love you too, I love Merlin you. Man. Oh, my God. Okay, let's button this up. I love you. I love you too, Merlin Man. Yeah.